So let's dive into the teaching this morning. Uh, we're continuing in our series, Embodying Renewal, uh, uh, this Easter tide series where we sit between the resurrection of Jesus and awaiting His ascension and Pentecost to come. Uh, this season where we're kind of leaning into this renewal work of what God's doing. And so this morning, I want to take us through a passage that for many of us will, have, will be quite familiar I want to talk about a TV program that's a bit of a recent find for me, uh, and I've been spending some time with, and I want to share and talk us through a bit of a way forward in terms of uh, how we live into more fully this embodying renewal, this gift of Jesus to us to experience renewal in our lives. Because the truth is that our lives don't always look like renewal, do they? And so the invitation, I think, this morning is that we don't want to pray away or pretend that bad things don't happen. We don't ignore it. We don't, uh, but instead, in the midst of those things, we continue to push into the goodness of God in and with it. So we're going to read, read this morning from Jeremiah 29. Uh, this is in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29. And I'm going to kind of read a few different sections. So you're welcome to open up uh, your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, or you can just read along with me on the screens. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people, Nebuchadnezzar, had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We'll skip down to verse 4. Here's what the letter said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And if we jump to verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word and we ask your blessing be upon it this morning. Would you speak to us? Reveal more of yourself to us. Lord, we, we want to not just understand you, we want to know you. And so Lord, open our hearts, open our minds that we would hear and receive all that you would have for us this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we all said together, Amen. Amen. So, a recent TV program that I've um, only just come across, uh, this is not one that I've watched regularly or often. It's just in the last couple of weeks, some people have told me about it. And so I've watched a handful of episodes. I've got to give a disclaimer, just a handful of episodes. I'm not like diehard fan. Um, but it's called The Repair Shop. Anyone know The Repair Shop? 
Hey, there's a few fans in the room, all right? It's like, it's like this mashup of, you know, Britain, you know, Great Britain's Bake Off show, you know, the greatest Bake Off show and like Antiques Roadshow. You put those two things together and the child that those things would have is called the repair shop, right? It's, uh, it's, it's this wonderful show, you know, where it's, um, you know, so this is, the, this is a picture of it, you know, and the guy there on the right, um, that's, that's uh, Jay Blades. He's like the, the guy in charge. There's a dude in the hat. You know, he's kind of in charge of it. He's got a collection of all these master restorers. And so it's basically, it's this workshop that's set in the middle of a green field somewhere in England. Because apparently all good things happen in the middle of green fields somewhere in England. And, uh, and so there's this repair shop that sits there and people will bring these like long lost or recently discovered or precious treasures that they have that are like quite old and they seem to have like come to the end of themselves and they'll bring them to the repair shop and they'll walk in and they'll put them on the counter and they'll tell the story oh my great 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 aunt's uncle and so and so gave me this and it's been precious to me and it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation and you see these things that are looking like they're at the end of their lives they're pretty much dead and they go it means so much to me I would love to have this thing brought back to life and so then it's left with these people at the repair shop, these master restorers. Do you know that's like a thing you can be an expert in? You can be, you know, Dave Charles is one of these people, uh, in case you're wondering. Like, you know, Dave Charles on Rowcliffe Crescent just here in Christchurch is kind of like our version of the repair shop, if you want. Um, we need to just get a TV crew in there and set it all up and it'd be just as good, maybe better. Um, and, and basically, you bring the things in and they get beautifully, you know, restored and re- over time, uh, over, over a couple of weeks. And then, the, and then at the end of the show, it always ends the same way. The people come back in and they'll come into the repair shop and they'll come to the counter where this object will be placed and be covered in a, you know, like a, 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 ra- a cloth or a blanket or something like that. And they do the big reveal and everyone cries, Right? And they all hug, and then they get to go home with this thing that's been brought back to life for them, right? Amazing show, uh, and, and people love it, right? This, this show, I remember seeing one episode where it was all about, um, uh, you know, this 100-year-old teddy bear being, you know, restored and brought back to life. I'll tell you more about that later. But the reason I think we love this stuff, because we do, we all love it, right? The reason why I think we love this stuff is because this process of bringing new life to something that we thought was gone is something that we're all hardwired for, right? There's something inside of us that we all go, man, I want that. Yes, I love that. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we want and we believe for. It's hardwired inside of us to believe that this is not the end. You know, it's why we love all those underdog stories and the, the great epic sagas that make the best films. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's something in the way that God made us and in the world in which we live, that makes us long and believe that just because it looks like things are over, just because you've come to the very end of yourself, doesn't mean that it's over, right? There's something inside of us that always believes that this is not the end because we want, we long for better. We're wired to believe this is not the way it's meant to be. And this is a very good thing. This is a good thing. I believe it's something, that there's something like this that rises in us when we, when we read this text from Jeremiah. And, you know, we get to this, uh, this verse in the middle there, verse 11. It's the one that many of us will know and love. In fact, I'd argue it's probably the Bible verse that has the widest range and best examples of merch. Take a, take a look. 
I mean, you get stickers. I mean, people put this verse on mugs. You know, you get, you get the, the keychain over there, that bottom where it says prosper. That's, that's on a T-shirt. I mean, you name it. This is like Christian Bible verse merch, you know, crazy, right? I mean, it's even like, look, that's a little Levi's, you know, logo that someone slapped Jeremiah 29.11 on. You know what I mean? You're loving this, aren't you, Connor? Yeah, 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 this is good. See, this verse, you know, this is, is, is one of our favorites where the plans for you prosper, not to harm, hope in a future. I mean, it's great. It's so wonderful. It's lovely. It's beautiful. And it's all true. That is God's heart. That is God's desire, you know, for you. But, the, but while that's true, it doesn't mean that everything in life is always going to be good and lovely and wonderful and beautiful and perfect and right and all the time. In fact, did you notice the context that this verse sits in? The surrounding verses around verse 11, that it's not all great, right? It's surrounded by a lot of really tough, ugly, difficult stuff. I mean, the reality of Jeremiah 29 is pretty sobering, if not quite dark, really bleak, if I'm honest. Look at verse 1. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This, friends is a letter to people who have been captured. Let that sink in for a minute, right? They've been captured, they've been dragged off in exile, away from their homeland, away from what they know, away from all that's familiar and safe and known into a place that is foreign and is unknown and is unsafe. And they're in exile in Babylon, in a foreign country. This is a letter while they're away in that foreign country in Babylon. This is a letter that's come from home. It's come from Jerusalem and it's sent from Babylon. See it, read it there, to the surviving elders, which implies and tells us there were some who did not survive. This is a bleak situation, right? Right? And, and, and the tone of this passage is not, God is so great, everything's awesome. No, the tone of the passage is, actually everything around us is quite bad. This is not great. We've been captured and this letter from home has arrived. And you can almost sense the expectation of the, of the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, right? As they, those leaders gathering around this letter that's finally arrived. And you can almost imagine what, how they would have been feeling and what they would have been thinking because their stories that they would have been sharing from generation to generation to generation were stories reminding them of God's goodness and God's faithfulness, right? And so they would have had that ingrained in them. And so they would have been thinking, oh, finally, things are about to change. We're, you know, it's about to all be turned around. God's going to come and rescue us. He's going to come and redeem us. He's going to restore us. Maybe they're thinking, oh, those folks back home, they're mounting a revolution. They're going to sort things out. It's going to be all good. They're coming to get us, right? Think about the history of Israel with God. When they were enslaved in Egypt, what did God do? He redeemed them and brought them out. Anytime, you know, when bad things happened, God would show up and intervene on their behalf to rescue and redeem. So they're probably thinking, oh, thank God. Quite literally, like, thank God, He's going to come. He's going to get us. It's all going to be all right. We're in exile. He's coming for us. And so they open this letter with excitement. And here's what it says. You see it in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have some sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. What? God says, settle down. Make yourselves at home. That's, 
That's like the opposite of what they're expecting. They're expecting God to come and say, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to redeem you, rescue you, pull you out of there. It's all going to be good. And instead, he says, no, 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 settle down. Settle down, make yourselves at home. Build houses, plant gardens, have children, settle in. What? And later, you see in verse 10, God says, for 70 years, settle in. I mean, that's a lifetime, right? How many of you here are still going to be around in 70 years? Don't worry, you don't have to show hands on that one. That's all right. I mean, that's a lifetime, right? I mean, for people who are sitting in injustice and, and, and frustration and regret and to be told by God, hey, I'll see you, I'll see you in 70 years. Just, just settle in for now. I mean, surely that's not what they wanted to hear. It's, it's not what I'd want to hear. And reading this letter, you can almost sense how, how they would have been feeling, right? That disappointment and the, 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 the injustice rising up and the frustration, some of the regret and, and doubt. I mean, these are all things that I have seen and I have felt and I'm guessing you have too. In our own community and in our own church and in our own, in, maybe in your own family and in your own workplace and wherever it might be and on social media, even in the last few weeks probably you've experienced moments like this because we all feel it right we all feel this way and so i think we need to be careful as we look at this text not to do a a direct parallel between ourselves and israel's exile into babylon right they were going through a very specific situation uh where god was was basically they were being punished by god for their specific disobedience and so we're not trying to draw direct parallels from their situation to ours, but I think there is one thing that we share in common, and that's that shared ache deep inside, that longing that we sit with, that in fact we sit somewhere that we don't belong, that it's not all good, that this is not how things are supposed to be. We are not the way that we're supposed to be. This world is not the way that it's supposed to be yet, right? We share that ache. We share that longing. And this sits with us and it riles up inside of us, I think, when we see something like maybe what happened this past week, say, on Tuesday. I don't know when it was for you. When, when that thing happened or when that thing happened last week or in your family or, or with your friends or, or at work or when you saw on the news or on social media. I mean, if I'm honest, frankly, probably all of us come into this room with things that have little to do with our world around us or with other people. In fact, they're our own things that we carry and we bring in this morning. We, we are desperately aching and longing to see God bring a work of renewal. And that's why we're leaning in in this Eastertide series called Embodying Renewal. Maybe you feel like every time we talk about this, in fact, it's, it's like resurfacing it for you again and again and again where you're like oh Clint you keep talking about this embodying renewal thing and I'm just not experiencing any of the renewal and I'm getting more and more frustrated some of you restrained your amen at that point didn't you you were like friends the reality is the tr the good news is that hope that, uh, that that uh that that God reminds us of is that we're not at the end of things we're not at the end of this story. We're not at the end of your story or at the end of this world. The story of God renewing the world is far greater and far further reaching than we can even imagine. And we are part of God's story to make all things new. He is restoring all things to Himself and we desperately are waiting for that. 
And the reason why we can wait for that is because of Jesus. Because we believe, like we celebrated at Easter just a few weeks ago, we believe Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a horrible death. He rose from the dead. He reconciled us to God. And by doing that, He covered our sin, making it possible for us to be with Him. And then He ascended, and He promised He was coming back. And when He comes back, He will bring about the full reconciliation to God, not just for you and for me to be reconciled with God, but for all of creation, for the whole world, the whole earth will be made new. And so we look to that end. That's in in theological terms, that's our eschatological hope. That's what we hope for and look towards at the end of time, right? That's what we set our gaze to, this coming age where the kingdom of God will finally be realized in all of its fullness. And we live in the reality of the here and now, in the already, this moment where, yes, we get to catch little glimpses of God's inbreaking kingdom here and now, but where we don't see it fully realized yet. Where we, where we continually to pray just as Jesus taught us on earth as it is in heaven. We want these glimpses and as much of God's kingdom here and now as we possibly can. And we are wired and created to ache and long for this. It's normal and it's good. So the question we all ask then is, but how? How do we live in the now and the not yet? How do we hold on in hope in the midst of this broken and depressing world while keeping our gaze set on the not yet, the hope that is to come? How do, we, how do we maybe get to pull a little bit more of that future hope, the not yet, into the now today? How do we get to experience more of God's renewal and restoration work today? And I want to share with you a wee cycle, if you will, uh, that I think is helpful to explain how God often works in this sense. But before we do, let me give a quick distinction Uh, You know, you've heard me talk a little bit already this morning around renewal and restoration, these two words. And yes, they're like synonymous. Is that, yeah, synonymous. They're like synonyms, right? Like they're very similar in meaning, but they're not exactly the same. See, think about it. Think about it. When I'm talking about renewal, um, what I'm talking about is the kind of work that only God can do. And oftentimes God does it quite quickly and straightforward and seemingly easily, right? When your debit card or credit card expires, when your driver's license expires, when your, you know, the, that, that app subscription that you have expires, what do you do? You go on and you renew it. Like when our, when our car registration, when, well, you know, Waka Kotahi, you know, sent me an email saying, hey, your car registration is going to come up due, it's going to, it needs to be renewed, right? I go, oh, thanks for that reminder. I go online and I put in a few bits and pieces and I pay the money online and boom, a few days later, the thing shows up in the mail and I just slip it into the car, all sorted. Renewal, quick and easy, straightforward, simple process, right? Renewal for the most part functions that way, you know? We know it doesn't always go that way when it comes to, you know, like certain things, but mostly it goes that way, right? Typically quick and easy. Restoration, on the other hand, isn't often a quick and easy process. Usually it's slow and deliberate and monotonous and really detailed in terms of the process of restoration. And here's the truth, friends. God works in both of these ways. He works in the quick renewal and He works in the restoration, the slow, methodical, deliberate, detailed. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. I'll just make this note. This is just for free. You can jot this down for later. Think about later. Restoration 
the beautiful part about restoration is oftentimes we think the fast and the quick and the easy and the straightforward is better than the restoration. I want, I want to just kind of reframe that and, and, and let you think about that. Like, just because it's quick and easy doesn't make it better. Because the restoration work, being longer, slower, more deliberate and careful, actually allows far more and greater opportunities for our participation and involvement in that process. So rethink which one's better and which one's not. I don't think it's a matter of better or worse. I think they're both great. They're both amazing, right? Um, And we should celebrate both. So how do we walk with God in the now as if it were the not yet? And this is a wee cycle that we're going to throw on the screen. You can pay attention to this and we'll just kind of step through it and unpack it uh, together. There's four kind of different uh, phases in this cycle on, uh, and, and we'll illustrate it as we go using a wee bit of the repair shop as we go. So restoration in the now. You got this uh, slide there, Rachel. Thanks. Um, basically, you'll see it starts there with the first step at the top being all around presence. Presence. What do, what do we mean by presence? We mean by like actually just showing up and it starts here, right? This is how everything hap- happens. Like if in, in, in terms of the repair shop, if you've got this, a, you know, antique, you know, much loved, you know, worn down hundred year old teddy bear, like it's never going to get restored unless you grab that thing from your house, hop in the car, drive down the road, get out of the car, walk into the repair shop, put it on the counter, unless you show up, and bring that thing into the repair shop, it's, it's, not, it's never going to get repaired, right? That thing will never get repaired. You have to show up. We all have to show up, no matter what it is that you bring. And this is why we encourage show up in worship, because when we come together, we're putting ourselves in the presence and the opportunity for God to minister and meet us. When we show up in community, in life groups, and, and other places like that regularly, we're showing up and being present with our stuff, with others and inviting them to help share and speak into and encourage and pray and minister. I mean, this is, this is the wonderful opportunity. And, and yes, we celebrate Mother's Day and Mother's, is, uh, it's awesome. But, but for a number of you, I just want to take a moment to honor you because Mother's Day is not an easy day for everyone. I'm well aware of this. There are, there are a number of people for whom this day is, is a strange mixture of, yes, we celebrate moms, but boy, it's been, this is a difficult day. Because you've recently lost maybe a mum and that breaks your heart. Or maybe you've, maybe you've, maybe you've longed to be a mum and that's, that's not something that God has opened up to you for whatever reason. For a number of reasons, this can be a really difficult day. And I just want to say, good on you for showing up and being present and allowing the opportunity for God to meet you in the midst of that. Be present to those feelings. Be present to those longings. Be present to that and bring it to God. Show up. Be honest with yourself. Those things that you're seeing and you're feeling and you're carrying, be honest with yourself and be honest in bringing those things to God. That's where it starts, in presence. And then it moves into surrender. And surrender can represent a number of different things. You know, whatever the thing is for you that you long to see in terms of restoration in order for God to, uh, in order for God to get full access to that thing, it usually means we've got to let go of it. Surrender. That's, that's why this comes next. And that might look different depending on what, the, what it is, you know, for you. For some of you, maybe it is lament. 
It's a practice of lament where, where you actively grieve the reality that is not what you'd wanted, not what you were hoping for. And you grieve that. And, 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 and like in terms of, man, this is not at all what I thought it would be. And you grieve that. And, and, and you need to, and in grieving that, you say, God, I, I need to let you master restore. I need to let you have it. That's the surrender piece, right? Of saying, I need to let you have this and take this. You know, acknowledging, for some of you, maybe it's just acknowledging that, hey, you know what? I can't do any better in this. I can't do any better. I need to let someone else who can. And so it's more of a submitting and surrendering that stuff to God. Surrendering, submitting control that I have uh, of what it should look like in terms of letting you have it then. Maybe for others of us, it's the surrender piece is that of repentance of, um, you know, maybe you've got places of disobedience or brokenness in, in, in your life where, where you need to confess and repent and then turn away from that. And that's the surrender step that God would have you ask. And whatever it is, it will require us to put that thing on the counter and then to leave it there. You know, for example, at the repair shop, I've only watched a handful of episodes. But at the repair shop, I've noticed the theme. There's, there's, there's the same pattern, right? And the same thing happens at about the same point in every show. The person brings in their object, their item, and they put it on the counter and they share the whole story and tell why this is so meaningful to them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the, and the, the master restorer is obviously really good at, like, drawing that story out and asking the questions and unpacking it all. And then after they kind of get through the desire to have this thing restored, there'll come a point where the restorer will say, and are you okay leaving this with me for the next few weeks and not taking it with you? Are you okay leaving this here? Will you, will you trust me to look after this while you're away? You know, they're, they're basically, it's like the restorer knows that there's this deep emotional attachment to this thing that they put down. I mean, of course there is, right? We're all, because otherwise you wouldn't want it to be restored so badly if you weren't so connected to it and attached to it, right? Of course you want it to uh, be restored. And, and God knows that and He feels that with us. So in that surrender moment, you know, it's okay. And God's just saying, hey, do you trust me enough to care for this well and bring restoration? Will you let me? And, uh, and that's just a beautiful invitation, knowing that it's God's job to bring sur- restoration to us. That's what He is about. And surrender uh, is, is acknowledging that, God, you can do far better with this than I can. And so you leave it on the counter. And then we move into apprenticeship. And this is maybe where we uh, part ways with the repair shop, um, because rather than leaving, like you do in the show, uh, we're invited, as followers of Jesus, we're invited behind the counter. We're invited behind the counter to come and work alongside the master restorer in this step of apprenticeship, which is all about coming alongside, watching closely and learning. uh, You know, watch the meticulous and detailed work of the master restorer. You know, I've referenced, you know, the one one episode I remember seeing with this hundred-year-old teddy bear on the repair shop where... um, Basically, you know, it, it was 100 years old and it had been through a house fire and all this kind of stuff. The thing looked shabby as, you know what I'm talking about? And they bring it in, they put it on the counter and, and, and basically they hear all the story and then, and then you watch the story of the restorers. They take it and, and, and they literally unpick it stitch by stitch. You know, they take it apart so slowly, lay out all the different pieces and they go find new filling because the old filling needs to be replaced. It all smells like smoke and fire and all that kind of stuff. And they need to find a replacement eye because it's missing an eye and you've got to find just the right button. And so they go on this long, extensive search because you've got to find just the right, but you don't want to have two wonky eyes. That'd be weird waking up to in the morning. 
right? So you've got to find just the right eye. You've got to go, and then they go, and there's, you know, these bits of uh, fur on the teddy that have been kind of rubbed off and damaged in the fire, and then, so they've got to go find the right kind of fur and, and make sure it lays in just the right way so that when you pat and stroke your teddy bear, it feels normal and natural and not weird again, you know, like nothing worse than a weird teddy, right? So um, all through this process, basically, you, you, we are almost invited in as, what, as viewers of the program to watch and learn the craft and the art of the restorer. That's the apprenticeship piece, right? It's so much more than an internship, where in an internship, you kind of get delegated certain responsibilities and work, and you go do those responsibilities and work, and then you come back and they say, good job, uh, you know, kind of thing. No, it's less than, it's more like you're alongside, you're with the master restorer. And as you're alongside, you're with him in that long, slow, meticulous, detailed, but committed work of restoration. You're in the glory of his presence and you're watching his every single move. And so when you feel frustrated and when you feel unsure about any, whether anything's actually happening at all, you're with him. And you can ask, God, is anything actually happening here? You know, what's actually going on? In those moments when it doesn't feel like anything is happening at all and you start to get frustrated, you're alongside a God who says, it's okay, I know, I see, I smell it too, you know, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Be patient, watch and wait. See, friends, the reality of living in a broken world, is, 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 that is just our reality of living in a broken world and awaiting the restoration that is to come. But the good news is, apprenticeship is a pathway that God wants to take us on and through to not just remain apprentices forever, but to actually move out and participate with God in His work of restoration. That we would, it's part of our calling too. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and, listen to this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that reconciliation? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Disciples, followers of Jesus, you who are apprenticing yourself in the way of Jesus, you are more than an apprentice. You have a calling and a commissioning to be a minister who carries the message of reconciliation. That is your calling. That is that which you're commissioned into. It's so much more than just being an apprentice. And so when talking about embodying renewal, we're not just talking about being renewed and restored. I mean, that's good. We need that too for ourselves. But we're restored so that we can help restore others. We're renewed so that we can bring renewal into other people's lives and other places. There's always a greater purpose. It's for the sake of that God is doing all of this. It's so that we can come alongside God and God's promise to make all things new and embody renewal in a world that desperately needs it. This is the journey of apprenticeship. It's a pathway that God wants to take us on and through so that we can join Him finally in that final step of renewal. Because this is at the end of the day, this is what Jesus prays for and invites us to join Him in praying for. This is what it means to see heaven on earth. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, this is what we're seeking. These things, renewal and the restoration of all things. And so when we read that passage from Jeremiah, I don't want to make light of the, the, that promise of hope in, in, in verse 11, but I do want us to realize 
that promise is couched within a bunch of really difficult, painful, hard things. It's in the context of so much bad stuff. And so what we need to realize on the basis of that, the the truth that we need to carry in our bones is that things don't need to be good in order for them to be true. I don't know if you heard me right. I'm going to say that one again. Things don't need to be good in order for them to be true. Right? And so when stuff is bad, God says, I know, I see, I'm not done yet. Even when you can't see it, even when it feels helpless, even when there's absolutely no way out, God is committed. He has promised to bring renewal. It's who He is and it's what He does. It's what He's about. He is working on it. And that's why we partner with God in His renewal. And we partner with Him by praying for the place where we are. You see it in Jeremiah 29 verse 7. He says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So we pray for our city, for our region, for our nation, for Ototahi and Aotearoa. If it prospers, then we prosper, right? For Israel, right, this was praying for their enemies, for their captors, right? And, and they prayed for them. And so, and so we do the same. We pray for, even though we're not drawing a direct parallel, right? We're not captive here, you know, but we pray for our city. We pray for our nation. We pray, we mourn and we speak over injustice. We speak out over injustice. We partner with this place for its good. We advocate for those who have no voice. We stand for and we serve those whom the world has forgotten. We give generously to those who don't have. And, all, and in all of these ways, we work in line with Jesus and what He is doing in order to make all things new. And it's not just a partnering and a participating and we're doing this. It's also in the doing of this, we are simultaneously receiving this renewal from God. We receive that work. You know, for example, with the, you know, if we go back to the, the repair shop for a moment, uh, you know, you tell I've been thinking about this a little bit this week, right? You think back to the repair shop, you drop off that teddy bear and it goes through the amazing story of restoration, all that kind of stuff. And they come back at the end of the episode and they come back in order to what? Receive the restored thing back. And they receive it and they cry and they do all that on the TV and then they leave with that teddy bear in their arms. They receive it and carry it with them. The same is true for you and I. We have the incredible privilege of being able to partner with God in the renewal that He's bringing. But more than that, as we partner with Him, we're also simultaneously receiving that renewal that He's bringing into our own hearts and in our own lives. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. But God is a master restorer and He can handle the mess. Nothing is beyond His ability to sort out. So when we talk about restoration, we are talking about God's work of renewal. God's work of restoration is His work of renewal. It's for us, for our good. It's in us, for our growth. And it's through us, for the world. And so when we sit here today in light of all that maybe you carry in this morning, And we wrestle with both how difficult it is and how painful it is, but also the incredible privilege it is to receive renewal and partner with God in the renewal that He's bringing to keep working and we keep going and we keep praying and we keep longing to see God showing up. We cling to His promise for goodness because that is who He is. And it's in that context that we can hold on to the promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, where where, where 
it's written, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Friends, because even when things are the worst they've ever been, you can hold on to that promise. That promise speaks power and life and truth in the midst of the difficulty. You can hold on to that promise. And if that, if that feels overwhelming to you, as it does for me at times, then friends, let me encourage you, cling to those words. Cling to these words of Jesus. Jesus says in John 16, He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, this is the battle Jesus has already won. He has. And we, yes, we have to wait for the coming age in order to see the full victory of it and experience all that, but we cling to it in the here and now, knowing and believing that He is not done yet. He is good, and so therefore we can hold both things together. We can sit with the mess of it because we know He can sit with the mess of it and we can sit with the reality that He has promised to be doing the work of renewal. And so this morning, friends, whatever you come in with, whatever, whatever you be carrying in this morning, let me encourage you to show up with it. Be present to it before the Lord. Bring it before the Lord. Be fully present to it. Surrender. Maybe whatever you need to do, lay it down and and surrender and release control. Let Him have full access to that which you're carrying. Maybe you need to pray and confess. There'll be opportunity to do that in a moment. Pay attention in the apprenticing. Pay attention to what it means to come alongside Jesus, to, to learn His slow and steady and beautifully meticulous, committed work of restoration. And then receive the renewal He promises you. Take it with joy and with hope because it is His promise to us and for us.